Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined by Gabby Urrutia. And Gabby, this is going to be our one little bi-week podcast. Unfortunately, it comes after a 45-31 to 31 loss to Middle Tennessee State. Um, we're here to discuss a little bit of that game. Uh, then we're going to go, of course, to quarterback talk, do some big picture talk maybe suggest some changes we'd like to see coming off the bye, do a little recruiting talk, and then we're going to answer some questions that popped up on the Through the Smoke message board. So this should probably be a little bit of a longer podcast, but I think we will just touch on everything we need to touch on here, give our thoughts, give our opinions um, on where things are at here, following that brutal loss to Middle Tennessee State. Still can't believe that happened. Um, I don't know why I care so much, Gabby. I was in a funk on Sunday because of that game. I'm a 37-year-old man. Like, get your life together, bro. Like, move on. But that was a tough loss. It was a tougher rewatch than I remembered, too. But anyways, let's get into it, Gabby. And let's just have a discussion after rewatching the game, what's one thing you want to discuss on offense? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just pretty disappointing how how they ran the ball. Uh, I mean, I, I think really, I mean, again, I think it's just kind of watching it, just kind of seeing it over again, the way that Middle Tennessee just really just kind of smacked Miami around in the trenches. I mean, really disappointing. And then just kind of looking at the at the numbers, I mean, 1.6 yards per rush. Um it's just that's not a number I expected to see after the first few weeks with how they ran the ball and, and things like that. And, um, you know, I think it was just really beyond just disappointing just to kind of see. I I, I just I really just didn't expect that from this offensive line. Um, Moving forward, though, don't you think. Like, I agree, the the offensive line did not play well. Yeah, but I do think moving forward, don't you think like Middle Tennessee pretty much just played a base defense. Yeah. Pretty much 
had seven guys in the box the whole the whole time at times eight guys at times they walked the linebackers up to the line of scrimmage don't you think moving forward defenses are going to look to just sell out and stop the run and make Miami beat you with the pass I mean that's what that's what I would do like I mean I think that's I mean again I mean I, I think if you're if you're any again, I mean you're you're rolling through the ACC schedule now, right? Like, I mean, I think if you're any of these teams, I think you probably have the confidence that your corners can man up Miami's receivers, and then it's just kind of like the only place they probably can beat you is maybe with the run. Um, if I'm a defensive coordinator in the ACC, I am sending a ton of pressure, and you know, making them beat beat me through the air pretty much, like just kind of saying we're gonna we're just gonna shut down the run game. We're just gonna kind of zero in on that. And if your guys start beating RDBs, maybe we'll adjust. But until that happens, uh, you're going to have to prove to us that you can move the ball in the air. So, I mean, I think that's an easy approach for any uh, defensive coordinator in the in the ACC now that we're kind of getting into that. I'll say this too. I So, you know, Josh Gaddis is into – there's a lot of bunch formations um, that that he's installed at Miami. I don't think – condensing things like that is helping this offense that can't throw the ball. I think bunch formations are cool when you, when you have an offense that can pass the ball. Um, I think it makes it harder to pass the ball when you're condensing the field. Basically you're doing what the defense wants you to do. You are kind of playing into their hands in terms of what Miami is personnel wise right now. The defense wants you to bunch things up and that kind of makes it easier for them to stop your run when you're coming out with these bunch formations. So if I was Josh Gaddis, I would take those bunch formation sets and throw them in the trash. I think they need to go to more of the spread looks. Um, I also think too, they need to simplify the formations that they use. I think you know, look, there's a lot of different formations in this Josh Gaddis offense. And I think, you know, from an idea standpoint, it's awesome. You know, you can keep a defense on their toes by throwing different looks at them. But if the players don't know what to do out of all these different formations or can't execute out of different formations, uh, it does you no good. So I think simplifying the offense formationally, I think there's value to that moving forward. Um, and also too, like in a weird way, Tyler, and that hasn't necessarily been the case this year because the accuracy has gotten away from him for some reason, but Tyler just is more comfortable throwing the ball downfield than he is fitting it in tight windows. And that's what this Josh Gaddis offense is asking him to do. And you can just see the confidence leaking from him. So I agree. The run game was an issue. But in a way, I think the answer to fix that, you got you to gotta come out and spread things out more yeah. from a passing formation look to make a defense respect your passing game. So they can't just, in a, in a lazy sense, load up the box and just stuff up the run game because yeah it it wasn't working 
And, and just to build on that, I mean, they're also coming off of an offense that was like extremely simplified, right? Like that Rhett Lashley, I remember some of the players kind of talking about the offense and it was like, yeah, we can kind of learn it in like a day or whatever. Cause it's just kind of like a couple different, you know, variations yeah. of, of, of very similar things. So I went, I think they're going from a very simplified, very like, okay, we're going to move fast. We're going to do a few things, but we're going to do a few of these things really, really well to we're kind of moving things around a lot. Again, you're talking about the bunch formations, uh, a lot of different things coming off of that. Um, so I do think that maybe that's been a part of just like the overall confusion or why it's maybe taken a second for this all to kind of come together because it is different than the, okay, quick and simple thoughtless kind of offense where you're just like you're kind of just moving you're not really thinking about okay we're in this formation with this call okay but we've done and now we got i got it and then you're just like kind of all over the place um so i do think that there there again could be i mean at the end of the day these guys you know got to kind of learn it it's on them to kind of figure it out and all that stuff but i do think that at this point when you're just judging the result through four weeks that now you have a bye week to kind of just kind of like reevaluate everything i think as a coach if it's about wins and losses and not about like what you kind of want to run. It's got to be like, how can we put these players in the best position to succeed kind of based on what we've already done? Like what do they do well and what can we kind of make easier so that these guys can go out and perform at the highest level? I think that needs to just be the bottom line right now. It just needs to be like, what can these guys kind of do and do well? And so that we can get through this conference. We kind of saw when Jake got in the game, right? There was a bit, a little bit of a YOLO element to his game. Where yeah. he was just throwing the ball downfield. Like, yeah. this is what I'm going to do. And I think you saw that a little bit too early in the second half with Tyler. And I, w- I will say this. Like, there, there is a benefit to picking up defensive pass interference calls, right? Those move the chains as well. And the passing game has just been so restricted that... You know, even if you catch a four yard pass, what are you going to do with it then? You know, like that doesn't really do you any good catching a four yard pass. Um, And so like in general, they just got to be willing to open things up, even though the receiver. I think both these can be true. The receiver talent is not great. But is the receiver talent good enough to where a defense has to respect it? I think so. And for me, it was frustrating seeing Frank Ladson play the most that we'd, we'd seen him play against Middle Tennessee State. And he went out and did a good job. I mean, in terms of catching the ball and being a threat on the outside, he did it. He did a good job. Why isn't, why wasn't Frank Ladson targeted against Texas A&M? Why wasn't Frank Ladson targeted against Southern Miss? I get it. Like there's elements to Frank Ladson's game that are frustrating, like um, blocking and he's not the cleanest route runner at six foot three. But in my opinion, you know, this offense, their two best receivers are Keyshawn Smith and Frank Ladson. You got to roll with those dudes and just sprinkle in the rest of the, the pass catching personnel, however you want to do it. But you got to, start building your your passing game around those two guys um and a lot give them opportunities to make plays Keyshawn stepped up big time in that second half you know so while the the receiver talent is not nfl level 
I still think there's a lot of teams around the country that would kill for the talent Miami does have at receiver. And there's a lot of teams around the country that produce in the passing game with less talent that Miami currently has at receiver. So you just got to figure it out. Would you push back on that? I mean, no, not, not totally. And, uh, you know, again, I don't, again, I don't think that this is the most talented room, but I like, kind of like, it's not like there's, it's not like there's nobody either. It's not like there's a ton. I mean, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's it definitely a, it's definitely a problem. But, but I like, don't think it's an excuse against Middle Tennessee State. No, it, I mean, definitely. It shouldn't be. I mean, it shouldn't really be an excuse against anyone. I mean, I realistically, this is Miami. I mean, I think one position you probably shouldn't be bad at is that receiver, just given how many athletes right. are at your disposal. But and my I think, point is, like, it's an excuse against Texas A&M. Yeah, like. Like, yeah, Texas A&M's DBs are just better than your receivers. For sure. That's not the case against Middle Tennessee State. Get out of here with that. No, and I do think that there's something, just kind of touching on something you mentioned earlier, and I know it's something that we were kind of talking about on Saturday, like just with the defensive pass interference calls. I mean, I don't know how many of you guys got to watch Clemson versus Wake Forest, but I mean, I was watching basically the first half from outside of Hard Rock Stadium, and I mean, Clemson, uh, Wake Forest benefited a ton from just giving their just throwing it up to their playmakers and Clemson's defense defensive backs are just a little bit too handsy. Like, you know, college defensive backs, college corners. I mean, typically most of the time you're not playing against an NFL cornerback. You will run into one occasionally, um, you know, in the ACC, maybe, I don't know, one every other game or something like that. So, I mean, I think giving your playmakers, I mean, just kind of putting the ball in the air and making the, the corner have to actually cover cleanly. I think there's something to that. And I'm not saying just chuck it up and hope for a 15 yard penalty, but I think it's worth taking those shots because yes. I mean, college there's corners good- aren't good. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, a good amount of the time you're I mean, you'll beat them or, you know, I mean, you you maybe you tip your cap. But other times, I mean, often I feel like maybe I don't know regularly, but I feel like it'll happen enough where, you know, they're just not going to be prepared to play the best type of defense and you might get a call somewhere. So um, I do think that there's something to just taking the shots, right? Like just like not taking shots is inexcusable. I think just just considering, especially with what they have now and. So, I mean, I think that there just needs to be a little bit more of that. And it was encouraging to see, you know, Jake take a couple. And, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just kind of like the take. Throw the bunch formations in the trash, please. And it is bothering me, too, that when Miami does get into the red zone, all the throws, like all the targets are not into the end zone which is fine. Like not every red zone passing attempt, the target doesn't need to be in the end zone, but it's not working in terms of like throwing behind the line of scrimmage or five yards before the goal line and having the guys run in for yak. You know, it worked with Henry Parrish on fourth down. They dumped it to him and he got in there, but the red zone touchdown efficiency is not good enough you got to show some willingness to use that space in the end zone. Um, That's just a little nitpicky thing. I I wish that they would change. Um, Defensively, where do you want to take this from the Middle Tennessee State game? I mean, just kind of flashbacks of 2021 from a a tackling perspective. I mean, I feel like it was just – I thought it was just another poor performance – and I think yeah. I don't know if it's attributed to a lack of focus or the fact that maybe this team's just not there yet or any little thing. They where seemed they're lethargic. Not, 
Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like there's going to be like I feel like there was something to the fact that they came out flat and then I feel like they kind of reverted to their ha- like you know like some of the bad habits they've had in the past and yes. I think that just kind of you know was on full display against Middle Tennessee State. Um I thought that there was just a lack of juice just really from the start. Um from and the then back the- 7. I think the D-line still played okay. Yeah. In the, in the whole game. But the back 7 was atrocious in that regard. Just yeah. no juice. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it, that was just disappointing to watch. And again, it's just one of those games where it's just kind of like, why? Like, like this was just if it, it felt so avoidable. I mean, this whole the whole game felt so avoidable. It's just uh, it just felt like really from the jump, it just didn't go Miami's way. And really, they just got kind of beat. I mean, I feel like they made Chase Cunningham. Uh, is that his name? Chase Cunningham. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they made him look like, you know, a freaking all star. So. Um, I think that was disappointing just considering what the, like, and oh, the way he looked against James Madison, the way he looked against the university of Miami two like completely polar different, uh, performances. So, uh, pretty, pretty upsetting that, that, you know, he was able to do everything that he did. And then for the defense to just kind of, kind of come out flat and, and not really seeming ready to play again, outside of, of some guys on the defensive line. Yeah, I agree. The back seven was very lethargic, not entered, not much energy there during the whole course of the game. Um, you know, we mentioned the man coverage. Um, what do you want to call it? Arrogance, because there was no adjustment yeah. to maybe throwing more zone looks at Middle Tennessee State during the course of the game. Um I do. I did notice, like, and this wasn't the entire second half, but it, it's in some of the defensive series at the linebacker level, they went with James Williams and Corey Flagg. Uh, so James was kind of like the weak side linebacker in those looks. You know, that's a fine adjustment, but, you know, I, I think there was other issues there that, you know, required adjustments too. Here's the big thing, too, in general. And I hope the defensive staff now knows this. Yes, at the University of Miami, we all want to see man, press man coverage from the cornerback position, right? That's what we've watched when Miami was good. That means you have really good corners. And in general, when you have those type of corners, that means you can do more things up front uh, in terms of pressures, et cetera. I hope now the defensive staff understands and realizes, you know what, this is like, we got zone coverage personnel on the, on the back end. And so, you know, we have to play that style of bend, but don't break. And you know, play the long game, play the field goal game when teams get into the red zone, et cetera. So this ain't a man coverage team. If you can't man cover Middle Tennessee State, you ain't going to man cover ACC personnel. That's just the way it is. So hopefully that adjustment is made moving forward, even though, look, I don't want to watch that. That's not what I'm advocating for, uh, you know, long term. But you have to play, you have to adjust your schemes to your personnel. And from a defensive perspective, I think you got to play more zone on the back end in the secondary. And 
I do think you got to tweak some personnel. We'll get into that later. But overall, it was a very disappointing game from James Williams in general. His tackling was atrocious. Um, you know, the Corey flag play, the catch and run, where Ooh. I just don't know what he was doing. Yeah. You know, we gotta we gotta hold guys accountable. So if a veteran player does that and he kind of is what he is in his stage of development, I think it's time to give other guys some looks. Um yeah, those are my takes on the defensive side. I don't know. It was atrocious. Yeah. I mean, you just can't. I mean, 45 points. I just feel like they played right into like the hands of like the air raid. Like, I feel like they, they yeah. just kind of opened it up and said, hey, beat us. Like Rick Stock still was probably like, all right, you're going to give us all this. All right, we're just going to take shot after shot and we're just going to kind of beat you guys because, you know, you're kind of giving it to us. So I don't know. I, it was just, yeah, I mean, just the biggest really- thing that like, I still don't understand. I'm just, I'm just surprised that this staff, both sides of the ball, offense and defense. I'm just surprised they were cool with like, just taking an L in this game. Like you cannot lose this game. You have to find answers during the course of this game. You have the more talented team than middle Tennessee state. Like this whole narrative of like, Oh, Miami's not very talented. That's why they lost this game. That is a garbage take. Miami is more talented than Middle Tennessee State. If we're going to talk about whether or not Miami is more talented than these ACC teams, fine. I'm willing to have that discussion. Miami is the more talented team than Middle Tennessee State. The coaches got pencil whipped in this game, and they never adjusted. Um, that's why they lost the game to me. It is a thousand percent on the coaching staff this loss, and that's why. That's why this loss is so disappointing to me. Um, you know, there is, there's that instance, um, you know, that pivotal instance in, the, in Miami's attempt at a comeback at the end of the third quarter slash first play of the fourth quarter where Miami's down basically at the two-yard line, one-yard line, first, first down, you got three or four tries to punch it in. At that point, I think, I think, and Jake Garcia is the quarterback at that point in the game, right? At that point, when it's second or third down, when it's third down, let's just say third down, when it's third down and you ain't getting any push up front with your offensive line, you got to go into win now mode and you got to explore the option of, hey, we have Jakari Brown. He's an athletic quarterback. Maybe it's time to put him in the game for one play to do some QB run stuff so we can get this touchdown and get back in the game. That game at that point was at that extreme of a level. Um, and I do think some of those conversations were had at that point in the game and they didn't go to that look. So, you know, you got to find answers during these type of games and the staff just kind of had an arrogance in what their original game plan was which wasn't working. And I think they had an arrogance that we are supremely more talented than middle Tennessee state. And eventually the game will tilt in our favor because of that. And of course, Miami went four and out on that play uh, on that drive, sorry to end it. And 
as we know, the first play of Middle Tennessee State's next possession was a chef's from a middle tennessee state perspective you got to tip your hat because that's just like chef's kiss like okay you guys did your scouting you guys knew in that spot dj ivy was the guy to go attack and it worked to perfection from their perspective as they coach circles around miami staff that day i don't think this is a bad coaching staff at all i think they're quite good but that day they just took L's and that's where I'm, I'm surprised. And let me say this too. So offense, defense, they took L's as a staff. Strength and conditioning staff, in my opinion, took an L that day. Why is middle Tennessee state looking like the better conditioned team in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Did you have that sense? Yeah, no, I mean, I felt like, I mean, again, just kind of like looking at the team the whole time, it never felt like they were all juiced up. Like, it never felt like they were like attacking it and kind of getting after it, run, like motor running hot for four quarters. It felt like Middle Tennessee kind of was just kind of like, you know, still climbing, still climbing, still climbing. And Miami was kind of just like regressing. And it just felt like they were just, I don't know, they just wanted it more. They, it, it felt like they were more conditioned in like the deathly, hu- it was like ridiculously humid and stuff. Like it, this was like Miami weather. Like this is what they train in. Middle Tennessee is not getting that type of humidity. And Middle Tennessee was just like getting after it, attacking the whole yeah, time. Like I do quarter. think there needs to be, and it's the fourth quarter program. I mean, it felt like Middle Tennessee went through, you know, something different than Miami is going through throughout this like grueling fourth quarter program. So I mean, I don't know. They seemed like the much better. And it like, wasn't because Middle Tennessee, like Miami's defense was gassed in that fourth quarter. Yeah. And Miami had way more plays in that game than Middle Tennessee did uh, from an offensive standpoint. So it's not like Miami's defense should have been wilting away in that fourth quarter. So Coach Feld, I'm going to need less tweeting shade at the Miami fan base about being fair weather fans. And I'm going to need more. Did he tweet something? He did a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, he did. I didn't see that. So I'm going to need less of that, less focus on that. And I'm going to need more focus on having the defense not look gassed in the fourth quarter. Um, You know, less cringy instagram posts how about more focus on preventing injuries because a lot of guys are getting injured here lately so strength and conditioning staff needs to do a better job moving forward as well here's the bottom line i'm about substance i'm about results pick it up saturday wasn't saturday was kind of embarrassing in my opinion for the strength and conditioning staff too they should not be off the hook for that performance as well. Um, quarterback talk. Gabby. This is this is the talk here. We got a little quarterback controversy. We've had a couple days to marinate on it. Yeah. Um, let's let's each pick a starter. This is this is our opinion on what we would do. Yeah not predicting what we think Mario Cristobal will do. What would, yeah. what would Gabby do? <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I've kind of, I feel like I've kind of gone back and forth with this. And I do think that there's a fair argument like either way. My my personal deal is is just like once you go Jake Garcia, there's just no going back from that. And I think you need yeah. to be prepared in this transfer portal era for Tyler Van Dyke to potentially leave. I don't know if it's during the season or after the season. I think you have to be prepared to just kind of lose him there and kind of have to put all your eggs in the Jake Garcia basket. Um, I do think Jake Garcia showed on Saturday in that specific game yes. that he had a better, you know, he moved the ball better. He did all of those things. But if you're not like 1000% sure, like this kid is our future, I just don't think that you can go that direction yet. Because I think once you go Jake Garcia, I think it's going to be very difficult to backpedal from that and say, okay, Tyler, here you, we kind of think that, you know, you are going to get another shot. You know, I think it just kind of messes up a lot. So for me right now, I probably sit tight on Tyler Van Dyke. If it gets if it gets messy again, if it kind of gets that way and you have to make another tough decision, I think the next time that this happens where you have to kind of go to Jake Garcia, maybe at that point I say, okay, this is what we're doing. But I think for right yeah. now, I think you got to stick with Tyler Van Dyke a little bit longer. Let's not forget who he was last year. North Carolina was kind of the game he figured it out in that second half where he kind of started putting it all together, nearly had that whole comeback complete you know, throws like the RPO slant over the middle, gets like tipped and intercepted, I think, or all that type of stuff. And, um, you know, but he kind of figured it out against North Carolina last year. I think you kind of give him a couple weeks to maybe reset mentally and just uh, maybe, you, you know, again, you kind of condense the offense, maybe simplify it, put him in a maybe a better position to succeed, kind of maybe play a little bit of that game and see what he looks like against North Carolina, because I don't think going to Jake right now and just kind of, tugging the rug from under Tyler Van Dyke is the best move at the moment because you need to be very, very, very certain that that's what you want to do because the re- like the repercussions of that, you can't really come back from. So that's just my, yeah. that's my opinion. I think you and I are on the same page. I think Tyler should still have an opportunity to play his way out of whatever it is that's going on with him. Uh I do think Jake has a little bit of a YOLO style that worked in that Middle Tennessee State game in terms of like he got away with some things that probably, you know, it wasn't the design of the play, but the end result was good, if that makes sense. Um, And look, coaches are all about process too. So that if the end result's good, but the process to that result 
is not what it should be, the coaches aren't necessarily going to be all about that. Um, you know, I don't know, like Jake, no doubt played better on Saturday against Middle Tennessee State. I just don't know if some of the things he did are sustainable long-term. Now, the way Tyler is currently playing is also not sustainable. Uh, but I do think I do think some schematic things need to be explored during this bye week. I think conversations between Josh Gaddis and Tyler Van Dyke need to happen yeah. in terms of, you know, what do you like? What what are you comfortable with executing in the passing game? And this is where this is where I think if you don't like your offensive coordinator to be the wide receivers coach as well, this is where that issue shows up, in my opinion, yeah. because I don't think, you know, Josh Gaddis isn't really in the film room with the quarterbacks breaking things down. That's Frank Ponce. Uh, I, you know, when times, when things are going poorly, that's when you need your offensive coordinator to also be the quarterback coach and help them work their way through their issues and gain an understanding of what they like, what they don't like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I also think too, just in general, like Gabby, with the stuff we get to watch and look, we get to watch a very limited sample of practices, but whenever we watch, Is it fair to say the, the vast majority of the time Tyler Van Dyke is the better quarterback than Jake whenever yeah. we watch? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we ever walked out of there feeling anything but that, right? That Tyler Van Dyke, you know, was throwing a better ball, just kind of was cleaner, all that stuff than, than Jake had been in, in those practices. But I do think there's an element to Jake that Tyler doesn't have in terms of like, like, yeah. I do think Jake's a gamer, if that For makes sure. sense, which makes this evaluation tough because, you know, this staff is very much into how do guys perform in practice? Those mm -hmm. are the guys that are going to play, which yeah. I think, you know, is how all coaches approach it for the most part. And if that's the approach, then Tyler's going to look better than Jake. Um, I also think there's an element about Jake in terms of, he is more of a quote-unquote rally the troops type For of sure. quarterback, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Tyler's yeah. not very vocal like that. Jake is willing to be that guy. Yeah. And, you know, I do think that's something Tyler, right now, when things aren't going well, Tyler needs to pick that aspect of his game up. For and sure. I know that's, that's not his personality, but that is going to be something that's used against him in this evaluation, in my opinion, if the results aren't better. Yeah. I do, I do think Jake has like a natural swagger to him, right? Like he has like a natural like chip on his shoulder. Um, you know, he's just kind of like that guy where like, you know, he, you know, people talk about, I mean, I guess sometimes in bait, I guess maybe in football too, like the white line fever, like, you know, when the lights are on and, you know, it's time 
you know, I, honestly, I mean, I feel like Jake's a guy that I'm okay writing because I feel like, you know, he's going to kind of go out there and yeah, like we, what you kind of said, you know, rally the troops and, you know, people are going to kind of want to play with him. And I do feel like when he came into the game, there was a kind of spark, you know, I think on the defense too, you Absolutely. know, they went down, they, they drove down the field defense comes out, gets a really, really quick stop. I think it was probably their most dominant possession of the game. And I do think that Jake brings some of that. And I do, th- yes. what I, what I will, what I do think could happen is Jake has kind of had a taste of it and know it's kind of could knows it's kind of like attainable in a way now where that he could be the guy. And I'm wondering if he kind of takes that into practice these next two weeks where yeah. he's just like, he I'm really, I'm really competing for a job. Like if I do what I got to do here over the next two weeks, like I could be the starting quarterback of the university of Miami. And again, I do think he has that thing where, you know, I think even like with some of the players and stuff like that, you know, like I think you, I mean, you see Jake and again, this is just social media, but I think Jake is more, you know, around some of his guys that that freshman class when recruits are on campus, Jake Garcia is kind of there kind of interacting yeah. and stuff like that. While Tyler is more of just like, again, and it's nothing about, I mean, that's just Tyler's personality. I'm not saying that as like a, oh, he needs to be different change. It's just different. You know, Tyler's more of like the, you know, I want to kind of just do what I do my thing. I know he likes to like golf and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I just think Jake does have maybe a better, you know. On the flip side of that, like I agree with everything you said. One thing I will say, it is my understanding that if we're, and I don't think Jake is necessarily bad in this in this regard but i think it's worth pointing out if you know my understanding talking to many people if we're gonna if we're gonna compare them in terms of like who conducts themselves more like a pro in terms of like you know off the field uh responsibilities who is a hundred percent in that regard and who is 92 percent in that regard, um, you know, Tyler conducts himself more like a pro in terms of handling his responsibilities and getting things done across the board. You know, it's check, 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 check. Jake is, is fine in that regard, but he's not perfect. And so, you know, I think a team sees that too. And yeah, the guys like Jake. There's no doubt, but Tyler conducts himself like a pro, if that makes sense to you. Now, the way he handled getting pulled and all that, I have a hard time judging it because I put myself in Tyler's shoes and I, I would totally understand why he's pissed and upset and annoyed and all those emotions. Um, but I do think in general, up to this point, Tyler demonstrates with his actions more of how you want the starting quarterback to be than Jake. And I'm not saying Jake does anything bad or anything like that. It's just, you know, 100% you're at class. 100% you're in the meeting room. 100% you are uh, understanding the game plan of the week, if that makes sense. Yeah. But like you said, maybe Jake got a little taste of it now and he's going to take that that area of his game to another level. Yeah. And I think that there's something to that, right? And again, I'm not I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but like I feel like Jake knows like 
maybe operating like, you know, I'm, I'm the backup quarterback and Tyler Van Dyke is yeah. getting all this preseason hype, you know, people talking about first round pick, like I'm probably not playing this year. So I don't know. I'm just interested to see, to see how, how he responds to a potential opportunity, because I don't know if he thought that he was going to get into that middle Tennessee state game when he woke up on Saturday right. morning, you know, like, so I do think it's it, uh, again, I I'm just more curious, like how does he respond to a, a battle where it's just like, Hey, over the next two weeks, like I need to try to win this job. Like that, that's just how I'm curious about I'm, how he's going to respond to that. I'm on the flip side of that. I'm curious how Tyler responds to it. Yeah. Honestly, because he's clearly going through some mental things, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, this bye week time is an opportunity for him to clear his head and be rid of those things because you know he's missing some routine throws that's mental like tyler has all the arm talent you need to be a very good quarterback um but i i do think there's some mental things that are causing his performance to struggle and it's kind of just like avalanching on him like we kind of in a way like honestly my biggest concern for tyler is that, and this sounds worse than it is, but I don't know how else to describe it. He's kind of like a front-running quarterback. So when things go poorly in the first quarter, it goes really poorly. And, you know, at times he's been able to play his way out of it, but also at times, like, Miami's lost a lot of those games. This is going back to last year. But when Tyler comes out and things are clicking uh, in the first quarter, he's as good as any quarterback in the country. Um, so it's just like that first quarter adversity with Tyler, you can tell like whether or not early in the game, it's going to be a good day or a bad day. Would you push back on that? No, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely wouldn't, especially just kind of considering everything that we've seen that we've seen this year. Like it, it's felt that way. And last uh, year. Yeah, I know. Last year, definitely at times too. Like, I mean, you kind of look back at that Florida State game and I guess he kind of did rally a little bit. He rallied. Yeah, he rallied a little bit, but and it North kind of Carolina, starts off. He yeah. Rallied. Yeah. I mean, I think some of those games where it kind of starts off slow and I, I do feel like he's picked it back up, but I feel like these performances where it's just like four quarters of kind of, average play again and i guess the sample size is kind of still small just because it's only been a few games and i guess he did get pulled in the in in game four but i don't know i mean i i see it and again i do feel like when he's good he's as good as anybody right but i feel like in this offense in this new scheme i feel like he's just kind of been okay not and good yeah i mean it just hasn't been good i think at some point you just need to think you, we need to start figuring out like is it what they're like, which is what, what can you do to kind of get him rolling? Cause I, I do think if Tyler's at his best, he gives you the best chance to win. I mean, I think that's yes. obvious. So I think you need to find a way to get him back there and whatever you kind of got to do from a coaching perspective to adjust. And I feel like yes. that's something that Tyler, Gattis that Josh, needs Gattis, to change. and he said it from, I feel like he was, again, I don't know if it was just lip service, but I feel like he said it from the beginning of his tenure, you know, like I'm still evaluating the personnel to see what we're going to kind of run. And obviously he has his ideas and his, schemes and all that stuff but i mean if if you're if if that 
if that if that meant anything at all, I think you got to kind of sit back, remove yourself from this situation. It's just like I need to coach my team to victories. Like I need to I need to win games. And if I I, I can't be stubborn and saying this is exactly what we're going to do if it's not resulting in wins. And, you know, if you do adjust, if you do truly adapt to your personnel or adjust to your personnel, I think that there needs to be a big adjustment. I mean, you better have all those guys in meeting rooms like, you know, six hours a day drawing up some stuff and be like, Hey, this is what we're going to kind of tweak to make sure that uh, when we come out against North Carolina, we look like a different offense. And I'm not saying to go from this, you know, bunch formation, uh, you know, speed, uh, whatever. Yeah. But just open it up a little bit more and give your guys a better chance to, to push the ball downfield or to just be more, you know, consistent and more successful in some of these situations because it just feels inexcusable right now. And I do think there's too much talent at quarter at the quarterback position in Tyler Van Dyke. Like you said, he has the arm to make all these throws. I mean, there's no excuse that you just kind of continue to be, you know, stubborn and just say my way or the highway when, uh, you know, you have the talent at quarterback really in college football. Like if you have a good quarterback in college football, you can do a ton of things. I mean, again, it's not like all these guys are going to end up playing in the NFL. When you have a big arm like that, you need to utilize it. You need to take advantage. You need to play to its strengths because that alone will win you games in this sport. Yes. So I agree. I think, I think we're on the same page. Josh Gaddis needs to try and tweak things to allow Tyler to play his way out of this poor, poor play that he's demonstrating to this point. There's no other way to slice it. But I do think it's, I think you and I are also on the same page where, well, I don't want to put these words in your mouth, but like if I'm Josh Gaddis, I tell Tyler and Jake, look, Tyler's still going to start. He's going to get two or three drives to show that he can move the offense or not. And if he doesn't move the offense, we got to go to Jake and see if Jake can move the offense. I just think you got to be up front. I think you got to put the yeah. pressure on Tyler a little bit by doing that. And you got to give Jake a little hope that, hey, it's time to prepare like you are a starter yeah, and be ready to go. So, you know, that's where I'm at with it. Um, we'll see what Mario Cristobal decides to do. Um, Personnel, other like, potential personnel changes that need to happen after the bye week Gabby. Cause I do think, you know, these first four games, I'm hoping that the staff is able to take a step back. Um, do, you know, have a little, they have a little snapshot look at the players that they are coaching right now in year one, you learn the most about your players in games, you know, practice is one thing but you learn about who players are in games and they have now a four game sample size working with these players. And I do think there are some changes personnel wise that need to be made and maybe not in terms of like straight up benchings. Yeah. But maybe just, okay, we're going to allocate, we're going to take away some of your snaps and allocate them to other players to see what they do with an expanded role. So Let's go with offense. You can give me one or two guys that you think need an expanded role after the bye. Yeah. Um, I mean, first one I'll give on offense. I think uh, Elijah Arroyo over Will Mallory, um, you know, just kind of giving Elijah Arroyo some of those looks that maybe Will Mallory's getting. 
Um, again, I feel like yeah. Will Malley's had a long career here. Um, you know, I think he's a great, you know, team representative guy, but I just don't think that he's been as productive as we want him, as we've wanted him to be, or as the coaching staff has hoped that he could, could be. Um, so I do think Elijah Royo is extremely talented and uh, I do think that he's maybe deserving or at least given, I think he deserves, I deserves think- maybe an opportunity to make some of those plays that Will Mallory isn't. I think it needs to go to more like a 50-50 split there in terms of snaps. Yeah. Um, Because right now it's more like, I don't know, 75-25 or 60-30, 65-35. So, yeah, I I agree. I think it's time to see more Elijah Royo. I mean, look, Will Mallory, he's caught – he's been targeted 21 times. He's only caught 12 passes this year. that's not a, not a good enough uh, reception percentage. Also, too, you know, you look at contested catches. He's 0 for 5 on contested catch targets. Yeah. Against Middle Tennessee State, he was 0 for 4. Um, and he's gotten a, I mean, his run blocking has always been a problem, but he's gotten a holding penalty in each one of the first four games of the season. So, you know. I think, I mean, I'm not saying, again, we're not advocating for a benching, but I do think it's time to expand Elijah Arroyo's role. And I do hope Josh Gaddis understands now, like, okay, Will Mallory's a fine college-level tight end, but he's probably not the level of tight end that you need to, like, build a passing attack around, right? Like, he just needs to be an option out there. Right. He doesn't need to be your number one option. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does to me. So I think we're on the same page there. I also too, like, I am very I am intrigued by Jaleel Skinner. And I, yeah. I'm not saying like he needs to get the same amount of snaps as as Will and Elijah, but like that touchdown slash non-touchdown. Yeah, I got that was really that was impressive. It looked like a touch someone like stilled like the photo of where they said he went out of bounds and he looked in bounds to me. I don't know. Yeah. His movement skills at yeah. his size are ridiculous. And, yeah, for sure. you know, I'm sure there's a ways to go with blocking and all that stuff. Um, but he is a special talent. He played, I, I think he played 15 snaps against Middle Tennessee State. I would like to see that continue. Yeah, or maybe even 20. I don't know. But yeah, there there's something there at tight end, I think, where the snap allocation can be adjusted between those players. Um, for me, I mean, this is low hanging fruit, but I do believe this. They got to start playing Frank Latson like they were playing him against Middle Tennessee State. Yeah. Again, I said this earlier, but your top two receivers are clearly Keyshawn Smith and Frank Latson. They are the top two receivers that are going to threaten a defense downfield. And just being a threat matters to defenses. Um, you know, the other receivers that they put on the field, they're not really going to scare defenses. So Frank Latson had his opportunity against middle Tennessee state. I think he played well, and that should only be the starting point. I think of him and Keyshawn Smith getting the most wide receiver snaps, you know, between now and the time Xavier Restrepo comes back. Yeah. And when Restrepo comes back, 
your starting wide receiver trio needs to be Frank Latson, Xavier Restrepo, and Keyshawn Smith. Yeah. So I also think too, and this is mainly due to injury, I'll admit, not performance. But it's time to get Zion Nelson back in there. And whether he's left or right tackle, you need to get him in. And then you got to take Justice Olawashon off of the starting five. He's just that, that was my second. That was my yeah. second. Uh, that was my second take. Like get Justice Olawashon out of that starting five. Kick DJ Scaife to that yes. guard spot. I mean, I think, and then Zion or John Campbell at right tackle. I think that solidifies that that five man front. And uh, yeah, I think I'm kind of over the Justice Olawashon. Um, he had a rough know. game. He yeah. had a rough game against Middle Tennessee State. So, yeah, so I think that that's a, too, I think that's a big one that could improve that front. Yeah, it's just your best five, and that's yeah. their philosophy. It's the right philosophy. So, get your best five in there. Anyone else on offense you want to touch? No, I think that's pretty much good on offense for me. Um, defense. Who are your ideas? So I was actually trading messages with a college coach that Ooh. told that just I was Humble actually met- yeah no he he was he was just messaging me about the the about the game on Saturday. And uh, he was just like he he, he, was he, he told on me North Carolina staff or huh was he no, on North no. Carolina staff no no, oh, no okay no. Um, but the, no, I mean say, saying that uh you know he watches the Miami games on on Sundays and uh, you know kind of said that he just kind of watching some of the like the the defense I guess just said that you know they they believe that Daryl Porter should be someone that should be getting yes, more snaps a at million corner. percent yeah he so, played well. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, that was something that, you know, again, this is a, you know, a college coach who's, you know, coaching in the power five that's watching Miami and was just kind of like, you know, I think Daryl Porter is someone that should definitely be getting more run at corner. Did he say where? No, I didn't really mention where it was. It, it was a short conversation. They were just kind of like, hey, what do you think about what happened? I was like, what do you think about what happened? And they're like, no, I think Daryl Porter should be playing more. And, uh, you know, so I don't know if it's that's an outside corner. I don't yeah, know. Would if you that's play that. him for Ivy or would you play him for Couch? I, I think I'll go either way on. It, I think but. I think I I I mean I would mind seeing him play for Ivy. You know, again, he's someone that kind of started in a passing conference at West Virginia, and you know, I, I don't think it was terrible. I mean, I would like to see something at this point, right? Like, if I, I need to see some sort of, I, I feel like we just can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again uh, at corner. So I wouldn't mind t- you know seeing what he's like at outside corner, and I'm not saying he's going to be perfect. But, um, no. you know, I am I am willing to. To test that out to see if Daryl Porter can just make plays that, you know, maybe some of these other guys can. And I know there's some others that think to Corey Couch could be an outside corner that they, that they're just kind of like, yeah. I don't know why he's playing nickel. Uh, you know, they think that he could be one. of uh, They think he could legitimately be an outside corner. I don't know about that, but I know that is some that is something that uh, that someone uh, notable kind of mentioned at some point. So. It's a, it's, it's an interesting thought, but I'd probably be more comfortable with Daryl Porter on the outside than Corey Couch, which is what he's been playing. So that's yeah. if Porter does play more, that's probably where he would play, uh, for Ivy. And yeah, I mean, look, he played mainly because of injury, like Tyreek. I don't know. It looked like a back injury. They said lower extremity, but yeah. I don't know. Um, when he got hurt. And then I think even Takori got hurt for a little bit. Daryl got in there, played 20 snaps, I think, against Middle Tennessee State, which was by far the most. I don't think he even played at A&M. Um, and I don't know if he played even against Southern Miss. But he played 20 snaps, and he finished the game with uh, five tackles. So 
you know, he's a smaller guy, but he, he is, he has shown during his career to be a good tackler for a smaller corner. So I'm with you a million percent there with Daryl Porter. Um, where are you at with Wesley Bassaint? Is it time? I mean, I think it's time, right? And I think they're, I mean, that's what Mario Cristobal said early on, right? Like they're trying to get Wesley Bassaint and Chase Smith kind of going. Um, Wesley, I mean, you're, you, yeah, Chase yeah. But, ain't ready. No, I, but Wesley, in, just in general, yeah. I just think like you're two and two right now, man. Like, I think you just got to kind of throw, you got to throw him in there. I think you got to start getting him ready. Uh, kind of, I mean, let's kind of go with this baptism by fire thing, man. I mean, I, Feel like I watched him over the course of his of his high school career. I think he's a smart kid. Uh, I think he's a. I think one day he's a guy that's going to be the one making the calls on defense, kind of getting everyone lined up. I just think he's that type of kid. And uh, you know, I do think that uh, he's another one when the lights are kind of on, he's going to make plays. You know, I feel like he's someone that you throw out there, and he's not going to be worse than what you have. You know, I, I don't think he. I don't think Wesley Bassaint's going to make your defense worse. So I'm ready to see Wesley Bassaint. Um, I think it's kind of time there and, uh, you know, just kind of throw him in there. I want to see what he does. Yeah. Needs more of an expanded role in the rotation. Yeah. I would say the same for Caleb Johnson. I don't understand why that move hasn't been made already. Maybe it will be in the future. I'd also like to see, like, in my opinion, I mean, Cam Kitchens had the nice pick against Middle Tennessee State. But overall, I think Cam Kitchens and James Williams, they just looked a little too comfortable to me out there on Saturday. And so I want Avante Williams breathing down their neck a little bit, getting more snaps, making them a little more on edge in terms of got to play with your hair on fire a little bit. Um, So I'd like to see a little more snaps allocated to Avante moving forward. Would you push back on that? No, I wouldn't. And uh, again, I I mean, I think you just got to, if it's got to be, if it's one of those things where like, you know, we need to make sure our guys are playing full throttle every single down. Like, you know, I think you need to send some messages. You know, I think there needs to be, I think that needs to be, again, especially at this point, I think you need to start like making sure guys are, are all in, you know? And again, like you can't have these types of performances and, and all, and again, I think that's I think it's on the coaches too. Um, but you know, you definitely want guys out there that are going to be playing with that juice. And you know, if 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 Avante Williams can, you know, again make guys think twice or you know, kind of look over their shoulder a little bit, I'm all for that. Or if he can outperform them, I yeah. mean, the tackling was not good from the safety position on Saturday. And if Avante Williams can go out there and tackle guys when you're supposed to tackle them, he should probably be playing more. So. Yeah. Um, anyone else on defense you want to bring up? Not in particular. It's tough. I mean, this is kind of what they got. Yeah. Now, I do think the performance, I do think the Middle Tennessee State performance was an outlier. I don't think this personnel is that bad. Um, so hopefully it's just one of those games where you burn the tape and keep it yeah. moving. It's not perfect personnel, of course, that needs to be, it needs to be improved uh, dramatically in terms of viewing things in the long term. But I think overall, this defensive personnel is good enough to win the Coastal. I still believe that. Um, And there's still a lot in front of them, I guess. And it's probably not something anyone wants to hear. And 
all that stuff. Yeah. But they there is a full slate of ACC games. You haven't lost to Virginia or North Carolina or Duke or Florida State or Clemson or Pitt or any of these people. And, you know, I do think there's an opportunity to kind of reset. We've seen some teams already this year kind of drop a bad game. I mean, Texas A&M dropped a bad one, beat Miami, uh, beat Arkansas in uh, in Jerry World, you know, kind of stacked two good performances back to back. And, you know, again, I think that there's – you got to be able to bounce back from these games and kind of turn the page and, and grow from them. So I do, I mean, I hope that, uh, you know, this is just one of those games that you don't want to lose, but, you know, obviously kind of make you better the rest of the way, kind of one of those eye opening performances that just kind of shakes everyone up uh, just, just enough to kind of, you know, reignite the fire and get everyone on the same page for, for the rest of the year. So don't know if that's exactly what it is. Maybe this team, just kind of lacks some stuff, then they're going to be a four or five loss team. Or this is a kind of a pick me up game where they're just kind of like, all right, let's rally and uh, let's get this thing rolling. All right, let's take a break on that. And then on the other side, we'll get into some like big picture talk, a little bit of recruiting talk and answer some questions from the through the smoke message board. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right, we are back. Gabby, I want to have this discussion because I think... You know, if we're talking like pie chart, and I think it's a fair discussion to have. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to this question, but I think it's fair to have the discussion and, and share our thoughts. You know, coming off a, a loss like Middle Tennessee State, there's a lot of discussion out there with the fan base in terms of like, what's the biggest issue with the program right now? And I think it, it boils down to three main talking points in the pie chart that we want to divide it up to. Culture, talent, and coaching. So I don't know where you want to take this. I guess we could just order it one, two, three, how we would each order it and go from there. Um, but if you are going to put those those pillars in order, or if you're going to make a pie chart, what, which one of those three things would you give the biggest percentage to in terms of like, what's the biggest issue right now that's holding back this team? Because I think, I mean, look, I think we can have two different conversations, honestly, in ter- with, with this discussion in terms of like, what was the issue in the single Middle Tennessee State game? Yeah. Or what's the issue big picture wise with this program? So take it wherever you want to take it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think big picture wise, I think just a core issue of this program is is the culture. I do think that there is a cultural issue just in general with with Miami Hurricanes football. I think that there probably has been for some time, and um, you know, so I, that's probably what I would give uh, the biggest piece of the pie to. Explain culture. what you mean, because okay, because I think people could say, well, what do you mean? Is is the locker room? Uh, not in a good spot because of because they're not feeling Mario Cristobal. Is it something Mario Cristobal has inherited? Is this a 15-year rot of the Miami Hurricanes football program that Mario Cristobal now has to fix? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that there's division in the locker room or anything like that. I just think that the University of Miami in general, just like. Okay, I I don't want to like say the wrong thing, but like I just, just feel like now started to try and win big. Yeah, I, I just and feel it's like, not a light switch. Exactly, I just don't think it's something that it's just like oh Mario Cristobal's here, so suddenly everyone has every all their ducks in a row, and you know are are prioritizing everything. You know, and I'm again I'm not saying that anyone's not, but I do think that there's a certain again I, maybe this kind of leans on talent too but I, I think there's just certain things that are so certain characteristics that are just kind of missing in the Miami Perkins football program I think if the culture was perfectly intact I don't think the last 20 or so years would be would have gone the way that they would have gone I think that there just needs to be there's not a culture of winning there's not a lot of like winners in that in in across you know in the program in terms of like the people. And it's just because a lot of these kids haven't experienced winning at the college level at a very high level, you know? Yeah. So I do think that when, when I say culture, I'm not saying that there's something like wrong or a division or anything like that. I just don't think that there are just like guys in there that are just like deep. Like if we don't win, like I'm going to be like, like, you know, yes. like there, everyone's there's just, too comfortable with ex- there is a, there's a level of comfort. Results. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, we're the, we're, I'm playing at the university of Miami or we are the university of Miami. And that's, and that maybe has been good enough to some people in the program for a long time. Like, oh, I'm at the U, all that stuff. Like, you know, it's it we're the U, all that. But it's just like, no, like there needs to be a there there needs to be national championship aspirations in that in across the program. And I think that it, it's just not there yet. And I think that comes with time. And again, I think it comes now that there's been an investment from the university. And then there's, you know, I think it, it starts at the top there with, you know, the people making decisions, the president, the athletic director, there yeah. hasn't been people in there that have been all in on football. And if the university is not all in on football, it's going to be very difficult for the team to be like, Oh, we're going to go out there and win national championships, you know? So now that I think that there is some of that, it's going to, they're, they're starting to build in that culture. And, you know, yeah. I think if you're a mosquito on the wall, inside you know the you know indoor practice facility or anything like that i bet that's a lot of conversations that you would hear would be just like you know they need to fix the culture that is just deeply deeply rooted inside the program and i think that does take time so i think that that to me is the core of 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 the problem but i do think that there's obviously other things yes the this is an inherited problem yeah the culture um and yeah, Mario knows he needs to get that right. And it does take time, like you're saying. I mean, to me, if we're talking just the Middle Tennessee loss, to me, that's an example of culture. And again, I think that's coaching. Because you can't tell me Middle Tennessee State is equally as talented as Miami. That's just not the case. The culture standpoint 
in terms of the players just thinking they could show up and beat Middle Tennessee State when, you know, yeah, you guys are fine, but you still got to come out with the right approach. And, you know, we saw that approach at Texas A&M. They went toe-to-toe with Texas A&M. In college football, it is very hard to have sustained buy-in and sustained effort and sustained accountability during the course of a season when you're dealing with 18 to 23 year olds and you know guys look they're getting paid a little bit with nil stuff but it's not like they're motivated by a paycheck like they are at the nfl level Um, so your culture has to establish that level of accountability and you know we saw that unfortunately week over week okay they they and and one thing i do i i do always wonder about when a team gets flowers for a quote-unquote good loss how do they respond from that the next week and you know this team mentally is not strong enough to be able to have a quote-unquote good performance in a loss and then understand, okay, we still have to take it up a next level the next week so that another loss doesn't happen against an inferior opponent. This type of stuff does take time. Um, Now, I do think the talent, if we're talking about ACC championships and if we're talking about national championships, of course, the talent needs to be raised. But to me, I still think this talent that that Mario Cristobal inherited and also added to via the transfer portal and recruiting in this, you know, first little class he had. I still think this team is talented enough to win the coastal. Yeah. Now, I mean, I don't I no, I, I do too. And that's that's like this middle I, Tennessee state shakes that confidence yeah, though. Yeah, for sure. It but, does. If we're just talking on paper, I mean the coastal is trash. This the, co- year. the coast, the coastal is not good. I, I mean, I think this next, I think this North Carolina game is going to tell us a lot because I do think, I mean, North it's Carolina, tell you the who, culture too. I mean, yeah, again, another team who kind of, you know, almost lost to Appalachian State, got kind of, you know, beat up a little bit by by Notre Dame. But I mean, I think that right now, I'm looking at North Carolina. I'm looking at Pitt. I think those are the two teams in the coastal who have a chance to contend to, for the, for, you know, this side of the conference. So I think yes. this North Carolina, I mean, you have a game you have to get up for right now. It's not like, I mean, I was going to say, it's not like it's Georgia tech or Duke, or I mean, Georgia tech would be a good, a good example. Duke, maybe not so much because they're actually having an okay year, but like you have a game where you have to get this right now. Like you have to kind of pick this up. You need to figure it out because if you get through, through North Carolina, I feel like the road to the coastal gets a lot easier. And obviously you could have hiccups along the way, like we just saw, but this team is talented enough to do it. And I do think that they should be motivated enough right now, right now to get it right, because they're, this game matters. This game really, really matters in two weeks, you know, and all that stuff. So um, I do feel like there's opportunity now to kind of prove that you still can be, you know, one of the premier teams in the coastal, which again is not, you know, something to pound your chest about or anything like that, but it's something that you can accomplish and is attainable. You still are technically playing for something and that could still be 
good at the end of the year when it's all said and done. You're also just playing for your own pride and you're playing for your own like ability to, to try and go do this professionally. Like yeah. that's the thing that I don't understand with performances like we saw against middle Tennessee state. And this goes back to the culture. It's like, guys, like you do, you play games like this. You're not getting drafted. Yeah. Period. You're not, the NFL has no interest in you if you lose to middle Tennessee state. So culture, I agree. It's a 15 year rot that's going on with the program right now. And, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal has to fix that in time. And now he kind of knows the deal. He was slapped in the face with it, unfortunately, on Saturday. And uh, believe me, he is, not, he is not going to let this team ease up at all the rest of the year. And if it's got to be a my way or the highway type approach, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the, the culture is going to get fixed. I think the talent is going to get fixed too in time. But if you were going to say that the number two thing, that's the issue right now, would you go talent or coaching? I mean, if I'm going right now, I would go I mean, talent. I think it's still talent. But... I think it's I think it's talent, but I think I think coaching has a bigger piece of the pie than I would have expected prior to the season. Yeah, it was disappointing to see because we expected the coaching to raise, yeah, or, or mask mask, yeah, some of the deficiencies, and that did not happen against Middle Tennessee State. Now, those first three games, I feel like. You know, I mean, look, the offense still was sputtering. I, I do think that's an issue. But, like, defensively, we felt good about what they were doing from a defensive coaching standpoint. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it It's going to be interesting to see how many schematic slash personnel changes they make coming off of this bye week because they can't be taking L's just to take L's. Yeah. You got to win now and you got to improve now. So I agree. I, I would go talent second. I would go coaching third. I mean, the talent does need to improve. And, and look, really, I say pie chart. Honestly, this is a Venn diagram in some ways. Like the three things overlap in a lot of ways. Um, and I think at the end of the day, Gabby, what we learned most from that Middle Tennessee State game is probably just this, this re, I don't know, is rebuild even the right word, but this Mario Cristobal era, it's probably going to take a little longer than we thought it would. Yeah. I don't know. Do you agree with that? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people just, I mean, I, I think I'm guilty of this too, just kind of saw the, the coaching and I saw, you know, Charlie Strong. I mean, I think I said it to someone. Uh, you know, just kind of char- at one point on, on Saturday, like Charlie Strong and Kevin Steele walked out of like the recruiting uh, tent together. And I'm just like, man, like Miami literally has Charlie Strong and Kevin Steele coaching on the same defense. Like that's pretty insane. So, you know, I did think just with the level of coaching, uh, you know, there would be, it, it would just be a quicker fix with the transfer portal hall. It would be a quicker fix. And yeah, I think that's to a certain extent, it, 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 it can be from like an overall talent perspective, but I do think that, you know, the culture though is what's going to take the longest. Yeah, for sure. Right. So for sure. 
the talent you can in the transfer portal era now you could snap your fingers and go get players yeah coaching now that Miami's in the game with paying a ton of coaches you know if some of these coaches ain't here for this next season Mario can go get whoever he needs to go get yeah. um, to fill those voids it's the culture that's going to take probably three or four years to get it to where it needs to get, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. So staying on that culture theme, I'm curious, this is your area of expertise, Gabby, and you're around these recruits much more nowadays than I am because I am an old man and they look at me like I'm an old man. Um, but... I am curious, uh, uh, culturally, right? Who, who are some recruits? And, and, and this can be guys that are committed. That, that certainly would be valid answers. But I'm yeah. also curious on some of their targets. Like, who, who are guys that you would circle or highlight that are not only talented, because that's, that's the starting point. You have to be talented. Yeah but also can help change the culture, just will not accept losing and also is going to put the work in that needs to be put in to win games. Who are some guys you would highlight that check those boxes? Yeah, I think the first name that comes to mind, and uh, David, I know it's not going to be a surprise to you, but considering need of a position, um, talent, and really, I mean, I think that he, I mean, I think it, he, he kind of emphasizes all, all the things that Miami's kind of lacking. To me, it's Brandon Innes. I, I think Brandon Innes is the ultimate like culture shifter uh, in the wide receiver room. If you know, you're able to get him, obviously he's committed to Ohio state. Um, I mean, I think he's just like the ultimate competitor. Everything matters to him. Uh, every play, matters. every yeah, football matters. I mean, Every play matters if he needs to line up at safety because, uh, you know, they're, the other team's moving the ball. He will line up at safety and he will put his body on the line to make a hit. He will put himself in the game. Yeah, he will, he will check himself I'm going in. in. Yeah, like he will tell, like, I think, uh, I, I don't know if Daryl Porter uh, Sr. is a defensive coordinator, but he will be like, I, I, I'm going to go play safety now. And, like, he will bench, like, Damon Fagan, who's like a NC State commit, right. to go play safety and he will force a turnover. He'll intercept a pass. He'll force a fumble. He did it against Shamanad Madonna uh, against a running back who ran for like 270 yards in that game, forced a fumble, got the ball back for his team at safety, a position he does not play. Um, you know, so I think he's just the ultimate alpha. I think he just, he embodies everything that this team is kind of lacking. Pro mentality. Um, yeah, a pro mentality. I mean, he wants to just like, there's nothing that matters more to him than than winning a football game. And I think that he will do whatever it takes to make sure that he wills his team to win. And I just think Brandon Innes is like, if I, again, there's, I think there's obviously maybe bigger needs in terms of just like other positions and from talent perspectives and all that. But if I could like hand select one recruit that I think that this team needs, like needs, I think I would go with Brandon Innes just because yeah. of, how he immediately like I think he walks into that room and I don't know if this maybe is hyperbole or not like I legitimately think he walks into that room and he becomes like the vocal leader of the receiver room like I don't think he's a kid that's gonna be quiet because he's a freshman I think he's gonna go when they're outwork 
all the he's going to go outwork everyone. He's going to go. He's going to be the guy that's going to tell everyone, hey, we're meeting at this time today to make sure we're catching passes. He's going to be the one that tells all the receivers, hey, you're going to show up at this time because we're catching a hundred ball on the jug uh, on the jugs machine. Like he's that type of dude, and uh, I think he's just someone that just ends up. I, I think Miami just absolutely needs someone like Brandon Innes. Yeah, his vibes are infectious. Yeah. And, you know, you need two, three, four guys like that yeah. across a team because that type of stuff is rare and it's hard to find and yeah. it's hard to like put a value on that. Yeah. But it and is, you can't fake it. Yes. Um, that's a good one. I like that one. What are, okay. The, obviously you're just saying like dream scenario. Yeah. Like Miami, like Mario, we know this. He's a maniac. He recruits everyone. He is he is still in touch and hanging around with Brandon, right? I mean, they still kind of talk a little bit, but it is a long shot. To- yeah, I, I do think it's a long shot. And again, I mean, we're I, I'm describing someone to you who obviously loves winning, and uh, yeah. you know, losing to Middle Tennessee State is is not how you get prospects like Brandon Ennis on the boat. Um, you know, he, he is someone that, you know, again, just values that more than anything. And he's going to Ohio state where they're going to win. And they're kind of showing that they're just going to smack around some, some teams, uh, this year and not saying it's going to be perfect, but that is a program that has that culture thing figured out. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, Brand- Mario Cristobal definitely still chipping away. there, still going to try. I think, uh, now more than ever, it's going to become how obvious it's becoming how obvious they, they need someone like that. So um, if I'm Mario Cristobal, I mean, there is there is no point that I stop in my pursuit of uh, yeah, of yes. Brandon Innes and until he signs, yeah, until he signs or whatever. And there is a yeah, I mean, you got to do you got to do whatever it is that you got to do. Uh, it is the NIL era. Figure it out. <laughs> it's my opinion. So okay, maybe maybe some other guys aren't at that Brandon Innes level. Yeah. But who else would you throw out there as like, okay, I think he's got the right mentality and he's talented. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to go to two commits here. Uh, two guys, you know, I think Miami already has on the boat. Uh, Francis Malagoa, I think is someone that yeah. definitely has, has a lot of that. I mean, again, not only the nation's top ranked offensive lineman, but I think he's another one of those kind of big personalities, like kind of rally, you know, just kind of be a, a leader type of guy, uh, especially up front on the offensive line. And I, I think Nathaniel Joseph has some of that too. I think he's a, again, I think he's a kid that has his head on straight. And, uh, you know, even after the loss on Saturday was, was kind of the first one on social media saying, Hey, we're kind of, we're sticking together. We're going to keep this thing rolling. Um, I think he has like natural leadership traits too. And I don't put him in that Brandon Innes category, but I do think Nathaniel Joseph brings a, a shift in, in mentality and, um, Obviously, his talent alone, I think, is is obviously elite. Um, but I think what he brings off the field is is extraordinary too. And uh, so I think both those guys could could really really help um, could help Miami if they were to each sign with the Hurricanes, which they are on track to do currently. Good stuff. Yeah, I agree with Francis. I agree with Ray Ray too. I'm just not around to him as much. But Francis was Francis is impressive in terms of like handles himself like a pro cares about winning all that stuff alpha dog yeah and in general too when you recruit at these high levels like mario cristobal does 
you're going to get more alphas. I mean, these yeah. are guys that have been the best player in their area since they were seven years old, you know? So they kind of carry themselves in that different type of way. Um, is there anyone else you would highlight? Yeah. I mean, I'll just go to, I'm just gonna throw out a couple defensive names. I think Ruben Bain is someone that yes. has some of that. I think, I mean, a again, million I, percent. yeah, I think Ruben Bain is, is one of those types of guys. I, I think you just kind of watch He's his not demeanor. Like, maybe vocal, right. But just the way he goes to work yeah. and plays. Yeah. It's special. Yeah. I think Ruben Bain has a lot of, of, of what Miami needs on defense. And again, I, I don't think it's just a talent thing. Um, I mean, David, when we were at his practice, he was like coaching his teammates, yeah. you know, like he was the one like leading drills and all that stuff while his defensive line coaches, I don't know. I'm not sure what the, what the guy was doing, but you know, Ruben Bain was, I, I just think he's one of those natural leaders. And uh, again, I think he's so he's someone that his name carries weight uh, down here locally. And I get, I think he's a guy that's just going to go to work every single day and just has that high motor and, and all that type of stuff. So I think Ruben Bain's definitely one of those guys too. Yes. That's a good one. All right. Um, let's go on to some questions. So on, on the, through the smoke message board, I asked for some questions. I asked for like, I said, I, we do maybe five or six. So let's do it, Gabby. Let's do it. First question is from dynasty one. Dynasty one asks a lot has been said about Josh Gaddis and rightfully so. However, TVD's body language and demeanor has not been that of a captain. Do you think he is a good leader or is it just a compounding issue because he hates the offense and is frustrated? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Everyone is talking about if. I'm going to go to Lynn Human. I like it. I love it. It's original and heartfelt. Ta-da! And the must-see comedy of the summer <laughs> that's perfect for the whole family. This is just so exciting. If. Ready PG. Now playing in theaters. You want me to take that? Yeah. I mean, I'll, go, I'll, I'll share my thoughts. I, I think, look, I think it's fair to say Saturday wasn't a good look for Tyler. But... I'm also not willing to say he's a bad leader. I don't think that's the case. I think he's not the most vocal guy um, like you would want. Um, but I think he's a lead by example type of guy. And in that regard, I think he's off the charts in terms of, you know, he puts the work in to be as good as he can possibly be. Um now, I do think during this time of ad adversity for him, he needs to step up to the plate and understand, okay, look, I can't be sulking on the sidelines. I can't be sulking during halftime because I'm not playing well. Unfortunately, playing quarterback, these challenges pop up from time to yeah. time, and you got to handle yourself accordingly. Everyone's looking at you, not only your team, 
the whole stadium is looking at you. I can't tell you how many messages I got saying, man, the way Tyler was looking on the sideline was not a good look. Yeah. I can't push back on that. Um, so I agree. I think both things can be true. The way he handled Saturday, not great. But I don't think he's like a bad guy or a bad leader. And I, I, I'm seeing a little bit this narrative of like the receivers don't like him and all that stuff. And I, I would push back on that. I don't think that is true. If that was true, I would have heard that. And that's not the case. So he needs to, he needs to learn from that tough moment. Um, and he needs to grow from a leadership standpoint in terms of being vocal and he's not vocal anyways, but sometimes when things aren't going well, that's when you need to be vocal. And so that's how I kind of view that situation. It, it is an issue, though. It is something that he needs to be better at. I, I will admit that. Yeah, I, I my, like my take on it is just like I feel like that was like the first bit of like true adversity he's probably faced in like a calendar it's year being the man. You enter yeah. the year as the man, like last year, whatever Tyler did would have been fine. Yeah. It's kind of going to be great because no one expected him to play. He came out the bet, but it's different when you enter the season as the man and expectations are really high. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no. And that's what I'm, that's, I think kind of like the basis of, of what my mentality of like my thought process is just about this. Like you need to understand who, who you are, like what you said, I think was great. Like, it's not like that all eyes on the team are on you or on the coaches like that. Every, every eye in the stadium on TV, like TV cameras, you know, are going to be on Tyler Van Dyke. How is he responding to this? And, um, you know, again, I do think he's still a pretty young guy. What is he, what is he like a redshirt sophomore or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do think that it could be a sort of growing moment for him. I think something that he can learn from, but yeah, the response, you know, in the moment wasn't, wasn't great. Um, but I do think that that needs to be an opportunity for him to kind of learn and grow from it and be like, look, when things aren't going great, I need to be the guy that, you know, acts this way. Um, you know, you're on NFL radars. They're going to see that from a quarterback and they're going to be like, is this, is this the guy we're going to bet the keys to our franchise on? And I think that that's a mentality that he, that's a mentality shift he needs to have because again, you are on, people are talking about you as a first round pick and you go on any mock draft, uh, you know, prior to September 1st and Tyler, there's a good chance you're seeing Tyler Van Dyke's name in that first round or early in that second round. So I think you need to understand that you, the way that everything that you do matters and every the way that you respond to everything matters. And when the when it's on you, like when the pressure's on, you need that's when you need to kind of show some of those, you know, intangible characteristics where, you know, yep. yeah, maybe I'm not the most vocal guy naturally, but I, I I know right now my team needs me. And if and whatever it is that I need to do in this moment is what I need to do because I am the leader of this team and I'm the guy that everyone's looking at. So that's my thought process on on Tyler Van Dyke and the way that he kind of responded and how he could potentially build from from that moment. Next question comes from D underscore Canes, who asks, the landscape of college football is changing. Games against G5s are no longer a layup. We have a good App State team beat a very talented Texas A&M team. We just watched Georgia struggle against Kent State. We've learned that every game is its own. And if approached without passion and focus, 
what the Canes experienced on Saturday will happen. There are lots of reasons for this, an interesting broader study. But my question is, in your opinion, was this more a lapse in prep and execution or a realization of the talent deficiency in certain areas of our roster? Should we have better temp should we have tempered our expectations for this season? Yeah, there's there's a lot in that. And uh I mean I do think that there's something to some of these G five schools kind of going into these other into these power five programs and kind of, I mean, really these school schools have nothing to lose in these kind of games, right? They're going to kind of go out. They're going to, they're going to do whatever that they kind of, you know, just kind of leave it all on the field. At the end of the day, they're expected to lose these games, you know, quote unquote, lose these games. And so they're just kind of going out there and just playing hard for four quarters. You know, you never really know what happens, but um, just in terms there, of, there's no yeah. excuse though. from Yeah, tennis. no, there is. You're not saying that. Yeah, like, no, I'm not. But I do think there's something to be said though. Like again, the transfer portal, portal portal era is going to spread the talent around. And for these group of five programs, that means you raise the floor of your roster. I mean, that's the case at the power five level too. And so, you know, I do think the margins are much slimmer, of course, than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That's been the case, honestly, for college football in general, the last 30 years. I think it amplifies that the gaps are closing for most G5 to P5 programs outside of these programs like Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. But even them, I do think with the transfer portal era, and I do think with NIL, I do think they're going to come back to the pack slightly here in the next handful of years. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I think there's, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, those, these G5 programs are, are, I think that it's, you know, there's some good G5 programs out there too, but yeah, I mean, just to kind of answer the question, uh, it was this more of a lapse in the prep or an execution or realization of the tax, the talent deficiency. I mean, I think maybe, uh, I mean, I think it's more of it's more both, of, yeah, I think, I think but... it is it's a little bit of both. I think there's definitely a talent deficiency in certain parts. I think the corners getting burned like that. I, I think it's just kind of a showing that like we do not have the corners. Miami does not have the corners to just straight up man up uh, outside receivers and expect to win. So um, I do think that there was there was something to that. But really, I mean, I think if Miami comes out and plays, you know, you know, their you know a, a complete game, a complete four quarter game, and comes out not flat, not turning the ball over, you know, the first two possessions of the game, and ha- with that pick six, I mean, I do think that you know this is obviously a game where I would have expected Miami to win, and win pretty handedly. So yeah, I think a yeah. lot of it is you know a lapse in in preparation, and you know just kind of again, I think we touched on it earlier, just kind of walking into the stadium expecting to beat middle middle Tennessee state because you got a U on the side of your helmet and not just kind of, you know, really attacking it for four quarters. And again, I think that's kind of goes back to like the generational culture that's been ingrained into this program for, for some time and just kind of not maybe necessarily respecting that opponent in at that point in time when you got there for the game. So uh, I think there is a little bit to each of those. Yeah. I think too, the coaches had, poor game plans and I don't think they adjusted quickly enough. Um, you know, I, one thing I'll say like that, the way that game, you should never lose to middle Tennessee state. Yeah. But, but the way that game happened is perfect in terms of like the formula for a G five team beating a P five team. Yeah. Like you're down 10 zero. 
in what the first three minutes of the game. That's it. And that gives middle Tennessee life and belief and momentum matters in college football. Um, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I need to see Josh Gaddis come out with a good opening script. Yeah. Show us you can design up a drive to start the game that can go get some points because what they were doing at the start of that middle Tennessee state game, ain't it? I said this in the instant reaction podcast, and I believe it even more. So now after rewatching the game, that first interception to Will Mallory, I don't know what the point of that play is. I, I just, why is it the first play of the game? Why is it the first play you drew up? You're trying to get three yards. It's just a nothing play. It's like, throw that play out of your playbook. Yeah. Burn it. Like it doesn't, it's I don't know so yeah to me again I've said this a million times already in this podcast that middle Tennessee state coaching uh, loss is on the coaching staff now players of course have to go out and do their jobs etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but the coaches had a poor game plan that got exposed um and never really adjusted defensively at least. And offensively, it was just like out of sync. So yeah, anyways. Um, Evan0607 asks, how bad does the back-to-back losses, especially the Middle Tennessee State loss, hurt our 2023 class? Do we see current verbals looking elsewhere? Does it actually help us? with wide receiver and secondary recruits because now we can honestly pitch them on early early playing time. Yeah. I mean, I I just don't think you can keep stacking. I think if you can just start to, I think if this season snowballs downhill, I I think it could eventually, it could eventually impact the 2023 class. I don't know how many, how much these two losses in particular necessarily impact the overall outlook. Yeah. Yeah. I exactly. I don't, I'm not in panic mode yet or anything like that. I think if you have another really poor performance against North Carolina, I would probably start to feel like, okay, I think that this could start maybe yes. spiraling a little bit, but right now, um, you know, like the tenant, the Texas A&M loss, I don't think impacted recruiting at all. I think, no. you know, some were kind of encouraged that Miami, you know, could hang around with Texas A&M and, uh, you know, overall again, not the positive of a win, but was just like, okay, you know what? Miami went on the road and kind of hung around. Um, and that's a, you know, positive step forward compared to what they've done in the past. Uh, Middle Tennessee, I think is kind of inexcusable, but, you know, I think, again, just the feedback I've kind of gotten from recruits is just like, you know, they understand that this is going to be a process, but you definitely don't want to stack those up. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, with wide receivers and secondaries, I mean, I do think that there is something to that. Um, you know, where, you know, there are, there are receivers who are looking at the situation at Miami right now and saying, Hey, yeah, look like there's early playing time available. Um, you know, I think, uh, especially some of the 2024 kids, the Jeremiah Smith to the Josiah trader, you know, they're looking at Miami and they believe that they could come in and, and kind of help right away, which could potentially be a big deal for some of these 2023 kids. You know, I think it's tough. Like, you know, they did have Tyler Williams on campus again. Over the weekend, I mean, it was in South Florida, essentially 72 hours. And, you know, does, does is the loss the reason why, you know, Georgia is still perceived as the favorite here on, you know, 
a little bit past noon on Tuesday afternoon with a, a seven o'clock commitment on the horizon. I don't know if that was the make or break, Doesn't but it, it definitely didn't help. And if Miami did win that game and take care of business and are, are we, are we saying something different about Tyler Williams right now? I don't know. And I, I don't know if it'll be anything like that. He's kind of saying the right things about Miami and how the trip went and all that stuff and understanding he's needed. But, um, you know, you, you need to get wins in these types of games and, uh, you know, so in the secondary, you know, talking to Damari Brown, I think I mentioned on the instant reaction podcast, he was disappointed, but you know, he did feel like, you know, you could see where he's needed. So yeah, I think it's a little bit of both where they could see opportunity, but you also want to see opportunity at a place that also wins. So I do think Miami needs to just kind of pick this thing up. And I do think that, you know, they're going to be prospects out there who see Miami as someone who could still be competitive and still play for something, but also, but they can also understand that this is nowhere near finished product. Then imagine if they got me and a couple other guys and, you know, that's how you stack and, uh, you know, kind of get to the finish line with this uh, currently top 10 ranked class. Agreed. Well said. Uh, next question. It's along similar lines, but it's a little different. Um, this comes from coach Jake has four to five who asks, can this staff pull in a top eight ish recruiting class? even with a lackluster first season, much like Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, and Steve Sarkeesian did after less than a stellar first season. This may be a bit harsh, but with recruiting acumen of Mario Cristobal and and this staff, will the roster overhaul needed from a talent perspective uh, and with a Sorry, and with the roster overhaul needed from a talent perspective, anything less than a top 10 class would be a failure in my opinion. So I guess, Gabby, do you think Mario Cristobal can pull a top eight-ish class even with a lackluster season? Let's call lackluster season. Yeah, I'll say let's define what a lackluster season is. Seven and five. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know, man. I feel like that would be, I feel like that would be tough. I mean, I I think that this could still be a top 10 class and I think it'll be because of like what Mario Cristobal can kind of do at the finish line. Right. And I think we saw that last year. I think we saw that on national signing day. So I think once the dust settles on the season and they kind of, you know, regather everything and they have a couple weeks to let's not forget how late the early signing period is. I think it's December 21st, not sure when conference championship weekend is David. I'm not sure if you have that stuff either, but let's say if if Miami goes seven and five, I'm assuming they're not playing for the AC title game. I think they got, I mean, probably prepping for a bowl game, but I think realistically in the mind of Mario Cristobal, Uh, The only thing that's going to matter at that time is going to be recruiting and putting a bow on this class. So I think at that point he will go into like ultra Mario Cristobal recruiting mode. And I do think he'll be able to, I do think that they could still finish with a, you know, respect a really respectable class. Is that exactly top 10 with a seven, five season? We'll see that would require them. I think it is obviously that would be keeping this group intact completely. And then adding pieces like Ruben Bain, adding Damari Brown, adding a, another big time wide receiver, uh, maybe a Samson Akin Lola, just still deciding to come on board. I think if you get a few of those pieces on board, which I do think are possible regardless of how, so how this, uh, this season kind of goes, um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm still, I would still feel pretty confident about a top 10 class, top eight ish 
if, uh, you know, a lackluster season is maybe eight and four and, you know, maybe they're able to sneak out a win against Florida State or, you know, uh, you know, play a competitive game against Clemson or beat Pitt at the end to kind of wrap up the season in a positive way. Um, yeah, you know, I do think that they could sign a, a, a really highly ranked class. And, you know, that's kind of my expectation for them at this point. I think top 10 is a lock. I think top eight kind of depends on the results of the season, but I think top 10 is a lock. I feel good about that. Uh, UM Jacks asks, I feel certain I read our offensive coordinator touted his abilities to create plays and schemes according to the talent on the roster and even touted changing plays and schemes in game. If my memory serves me properly, I'd like to better know your take on this based on what you saw at Michigan. Thanks. I appreciate it. You want to take that one, David? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a fair question to have right now with Josh Gaddis. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that they're running right now is very similar to what he was running at Michigan. Is the personnel the same between those two programs? I don't know. I, I, I do think, again, I, I alluded to this earlier. I think it's time to self-scout. I think this staff on both sides needs to self-scout and be honest and, and maybe admit that their early evaluations based on spring ball and camp might be a little off on some guys now that you've seen them play in games. And so... You know, I think this Josh Gaddis offense has is built a lot around uh, in the passing game, at least the tight end position. I don't know if that's the right approach. I think the tight end position needs to be a complementary piece, um, and I think they need to come out with some formations that will look to spread the ball. Condensing the field is not the answer. Bunch formations is not the answer with this personnel. Uh, you got to spread teams out. You got to give Frank Latson. You got to give Keyshawn Smith opportunities to make some plays downfield. And those receivers I mentioned are not perfect. I get it, but they're the best you got. And they can still be somewhat dangerous. And you need defenses to respect that threat. That will help open up your run game. That will help open up some tight end play. So, you know, it's it's been a conservative approach. I think the red zone stuff is not good. That needs to be explored significantly during this bye week. And, you know, look, I'll be honest, too. I'm not predicting anything. But I do think if Josh Gaddis doesn't start finding some answers, they have a guy on staff that called plays at App State last year in Frank Ponce and had like a top 25 offense. I think it was top 40. But yeah, I mean, if you don't get results, this is a results oriented business. And if you don't get those results, you got to find someone that can't. And uh, if Gaddis can't get the job done, they got a they they got a guy in the room, in the coaching room that can that is coaching quarterbacks that might have some ideas. And you know, when I say that, I understand like you're not gonna ins- 
install an entirely different offense during the course of the season. But can you make tweaks to an offense? I think you can. And, you know, that might also help Josh Gaddis coach his position group a little better because that position group, you know, probably not developing like we would like. Yeah, no, I think a, a lot of fairness. I mean, I think we touched on it earlier. Like, yeah, I mean, he said he was going to coach to the personnel. And again, I think they need to, I think it's, I mean, just kind of like what we said earlier in the show, like I think they need to evaluate everything right now. They need to self-scout. They need to kind of look in the mirror right now and be like, hey, who are we and who are we not? And let's adapt to all this. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of what they have to do right now. Here's the last one. And this is a hard one. But CB239 asks, if you were only allowed to change one thing and fix the majority of our issues, what would you each change? Wow, that is tough. You want to go first? <laughs> um, if I was to change one thing, well, I keep harping on this, but like I would, I would, trash the bunch formation stuff throw that in the garbage can i would also change my approach with the passing game in the red zone if i'm josh gaddis um you're just throwing a bunch of stuff in the flats and teams are tackling you in space and you got to be willing to throw the ball into the end zone every now and then i don't know I know against Middle Tennessee State, their red zone offense, they did not throw the ball once into the end zone when they got into the red zone. All their passing attempts, the ball was, you know, short of the goal line, and they looked for guys to run the ball in, which Henry Parrish did once. Um, but you just can't be one-dimensional with what you're asked. Like everything in this offense is like flats, 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 which is fine, but it ain't working. So, uh, and also too, I think one thing I would change, I would have Josh Gaddis be a little more collaborative with Tyler Van Dyke in terms of really ask him, what are you comfortable executing in the passing game? I don't know if those conversations have really happened much. And so I, I just think Josh got like, you got to go back to the drawing board. So if yeah. I was going to change one thing, it'd be these little tweaks on offense because it's stinky. It's not working. And uh, that's what I would change, I guess. I don't know. That's a tough question. It is. I feel like this, it, it is a good question. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't know. I think that, I think the, like the last thing you said is, 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 is good. Just simplifying everything, like just simplifying the offense yeah. to where these guys can just kind of go, you know, and I'm not saying adopt the Rhett Lashley offense. Cause I think there was deficiencies no. in that with the run game and all that stuff. Just but, tighten uh, the playbook. Like, yeah, you don't need to come out with like 20 different formations during the yeah. course of a game. Yeah. I think you're seeing a lot of teams win with like kind of like these simplified offenses and stuff like that, where it's just like, make sure the like find, find again, something else we said earlier, just find out what these guys can do well and just make sure they're, they're executing at a really, really high level. And, uh, you know, for being able to perform freely and, and all that stuff. And maybe it's not exactly what you want and it's not how you 
typically do things. But again, it, this needs to be the, it, this is a bottom line business and uh, you know, my, they, you guys need to kind of get this rolling. So if it means just kind of making sure your quarterback is comfortable, he's in a position where he can kind of spray the ball around and uh, you know, your receivers can kind of make some plays and, and not have to think about it so much. Um, I think that that would be best case scenario for this offense because uh, they need to kind of go. And I do think if this offense goes, I think the defense kind of uh, feeds off them a little bit too, which I think yeah. we saw at times. So um, I think that, I, I mean, if I could fix one thing, it would definitely be on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And look, Mario Cristobal holds his staff accountable. And again, if Josh Gaddis can't get the job done, they're going to find ways to get the job done. So we'll see, you know, like we said, Tyler Van Dyke should get an opportunity to, to play his way out of his little funk. Josh Gaddis, you got a bye week to coach your way out of, you know, this mess of a situation we're watching on offense. Um, so hope for the best. I do think, I do think this is a good coaching staff. I do think they can find answers. We'll see how North Carolina goes. So appreciate everyone for listening. Um, Till next time, take care. show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free lady with a special epic season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter you speak that will be unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale tonight 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus